CNN projects Joseph R. Biden Jr. is elected the 46th president of the United States, winning the White House and denying President Trump a second term. This is But What Do I Know podcast with Chid Suzanne, a space for learning, for healing, and for laughter. Welcome everyone to another episode of But What Do I Know podcast. I'm your host, Chit Suzanne, and I just want to welcome you to yet another episode. If this is your first time tuning in and hearing the sound of my voice, welcome. I'm glad you're here, and I hope you keep coming back. Make sure you subscribe to the show with notifications turned all the way on so you don't miss an episode. And if you're already a part of our podcast family, well, you already know what it is. I'm not going to ask you to subscribe because I'm sure you've done so already, right? As usual, I hope that you guys are having a wonderful week. It is Wednesday, so hopefully your week's going well, and if not, well, you got two days to turn it around. (laughs) 2020 has brought us some good news. You know, Biden won. Serious cause for celebration. Pfizer reported some good news with regards to the vaccine. 90% effective. Dang. So, you know, we can only hope that it just continues this way until this year is done. (laughs) But with that, let's get into our clean segment for the week. So for Clue in this week, we're going to switch it up a little bit. Today, we're going to talk about a book that comes out tomorrow. And I say tomorrow because if you're listening to this episode when it's released on Wednesday, November 18th, then tomorrow will be Thursday, November 19th. And so former President Barack Obama is releasing his book, A Promised Land, tomorrow, November 19th. And, you know, regardless of what your politics are, what you think of him, I'm personally interested because he has sort of mentioned that this in this book, he'll try to give an honest account of his presidency. And, you know, I hope that he's honest. I hope that he discusses, you know, his, his work during his time as president, his administration, and some of the controversial issues and topics that sort of um, took place during that time. So yeah, I'm definitely going to buy it. I'm definitely going to read it. If it's a good read, I'll let you guys know if he's honest and gives a good truthful account. I'll also definitely talk about it on here and, you know, sort of give my review after I've read it as well. I'm really busy. So I feel like to be honest, I'll probably get time to read it over the holidays. So expect a review probably in early 2021 about that book. But yeah, A Promised Land coming out tomorrow. So next on Cluin, honestly, I miss live concerts. I really miss live concerts. And I didn't know that I missed them until I've been sort of playing all the new released tracks. I've been coming out and I'm playing them in my bedroom and I'm dancing. And I'm like, man, a concert would be so lit right now. And so Burna Boy has a virtual concert streaming live from the O2 Center in in London. And it's actually taking place today. And I went to, you know, I was like, you know, I'll just register and I'll just, you know, sort of listen and watch while I work or something. And you actually had to pay through Live Nation. And I was like, oh, okay. I don't know how I feel about paying for a virtual concert. 
even though it's significantly reduced it's just not the same you don't get the same experience you're not there but i am definitely missing live concerts for sure and i was actually reading up about this and you know understandably i'm sure a lot of artists and performers are sort of you know missing out on the money and revenue that they would have made from touring this year and so ticketmaster is sort of looking into different options so i was reading into this and they're actually looking into you know for live events next year either having attendees you know provide proof of a covid vaccine that they've taken a covid vaccine or you know provide proof of a negative covid test and honestly like i'm down if if i can give you a negative covid test and i still get to so, sort of you know social distance with my group that i came with or the person i came with then honestly I might be down for that. I'm not going to lie. I might be down for that. But but yeah, you know, I'm just it's interesting to sort of see the way various industries are sort of, you know, doing their best to adjust to what's been a very crazy and ongoing, flexible, fluid situation. So I definitely, you know, commend all the industries that are doing their best to adjust for sure. But yeah, that's all I got for Clue in this week. Let's get into our main topic for the week. So for our main segment this week, we're going to be discussing the U.S. election results, the impact, what this sort of means. We'll also be touching on why the current occupant of the White House received as much support as he did. And because this is a Canadian podcast, I do want to offer a Canadian perspective. So we'll sort of finish off by talking about what us as Canadians can learn and take away from this recent election cycle that took place in the U.S. So yeah, this is what we're going to be talking about this week. But before we get into all that, let's get into what I'm drinking while I record. So if you're a real G and you've been listening to this podcast for a couple months now, you know that to know me is to know that I love tea. And so while I record today, I'm sipping on some almond biscotti black tea. It's just nice. It's getting cooler. So it's a nice, cozy, sweet tea for me while I record today. And this almond biscotti tea is by Tealish Fine Teas. They're a local company here in the city of Toronto. So if you love tea and you love a variety of different flavors like I do, make sure you check them out. Okay, so on November 7th, it was projected that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris would be the presumed president and vice president-elect come January 2021. And whew, can I just say thank you to God, Allah, Buddha, Mercury no longer being in retrograde, any higher power that you want to attribute this win to. Whew, thank you. Thank you. And let me just tell you, yes, us Canadians sighed a sigh of relief too. Because while I was tuned into CNN and they were showing all the different cities erupt into celebrations, I too was doing a little dance like, you are about to lose your job. <laughs> you are about to lose your job. Hey, you are about to lose your job. <laughs> But it was amazing to see all the people that turned out to vote, you know, by various methods, all the people and organizations that worked tirelessly for this election, all the grassroots efforts that worked to ensure that people came out to vote, that people felt like their votes mattered, and that people felt safe while casting their ballot. 
you know, if we're going to wear this badge of, oh, we're a free democracy, especially on this part of the world in the West, then it's important. We need to ensure that there are safe ways for people to vote. And given the number of ballots that were casted by mail this time around, it's important that we invest in our postal system to ensure that that social infrastructure can actually handle huge amounts of people voting by these varying methods. So, of course, you know, I mentioned that as soon as the Biden projection was made, you know, celebrations exploded in various cities across the country. And yes, even here in Canada as well. And he was, you know, congratulated by various other world leaders and so on. However, it's not lost on a lot of us that this celebration is this is celebration with caution because the general consensus and from the people that I've talked to, my understanding of this Obviously, a Biden-Harris ticket doesn't change everything. It doesn't solve all the problems that have either arisen this year or that have been building over. But what it just represents and what it means is, you know what? Okay, there are more people who understand and who voted for Biden because they understand this urgency to get the current occupant out, to allow for even the opportunity of progress, you know, to be made. And what is also evident to me, too, is that there are a lot more groups, organizations, community organizers, grassroots movements that are willing, more than willing, and ready to hold this next administration to account for all that they've said that they will do, all they've said that they will address, that they will try to tackle. And I think that, you know, Biden is also a moderate. He will govern as a moderate. He will lead as a moderate. And I think that people should sort of you know, don't expect too much progress, to be honest, because firstly, we're in a pandemic. You have the pandemic, you have the economy, you have all that's been building over this year with social justice and police brutality and all these other things. It's going to take more than four, eight, 12 years to address all the root issues and the ugly underbelly of America, to be honest, that has gradually just been building over. And added to this is the fact that this election was not a clean sweep for Biden at all. And this is what was so puzzling to me is that even after the last four years, there are still over 70 million people who felt like this candidate would be effective and capable of leading the United States through the next four years. Really? Hmm. Well, so I knew I wasn't the only one thinking this. And so being that this is a Canadian podcast, I reached out to a few Canadians and asked them to just sort of share their thoughts on who they would have voted for if they were American and why they think Trump got as much support as he did during this past election cycle. Take a listen. I'm going to be honest with you and say neither Trump or Biden are necessarily the best uh, options for America, but because of how important this U.S. election, this US election was and the need for change and the need for America to, um, I guess, start making great strides, I would have voted for Joe Biden. In regards to your second question um, about why Trump was able to still rally and have such a high turnout um, of voters supporting him, my answer to that is if you look at the maps and if you look at the, 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 the states and that had voted for him, you would find out that a lot of the cities were rural communities. Um, this just shows that there's still a lot of people in America who believe in a white America um, who are mostly residing in 
rural communities uh people who believe in the old ways people people who are misinformed people who are not necessarily educated about the problems of america and you know believe in the same ideologies as trump and so joe biden's campaign failed to reach out to these people or get these people on board and i guess that is also one of the initiatives and accomplishments that biden has to sort of add to his new regime um in able to unify america because rural communities are not necessarily in support of biden um whereas a lot of them are in support of trump because they believe in the ideologies that trump is preaching I was American, I would have voted for Biden, Kamala Harris's um, party. And why do I believe that Trump got more votes slash support this year versus his 2016 election? I just think over the past four years, um, blatant forms of like racism, bigotry have been accepted. And so that's why people just thought that, okay, this is the new way of life. If I was an American, I would have voted for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. However, I think that Trump got as much support as he did because of his America First message. And I think that manifests itself in two ways. The first is in terms of economics. So for blue collar workers, particularly those who work in manufacturing that have seen their jobs shipped overseas over the past decade, I think that they really saw Trump as being the protector of their line of work and keeping those factories and those jobs in the US. And I think the second is in terms of culture. And I think that, you know, Trump's dog whistles about uh, race really unfortunately resonated with a lot of people who might be uncomfortable with, uh, you know, the racial justice movement and Black Lives Matter. So if I were an American, I would have voted definitely for the Democrats because four years of a tyrannical leader who has overt disregard for human rights and freedoms is more than enough. Um, I believe that Trump got the support that he did because he makes politics very accessible for his followers who already have preconceived notions and very traditional views that guide how they perceive the world around them. And I don't think that comes necessarily as a surprise to anyone, but it's because political correctness takes a lot of so-called effort for people who are privileged and don't think twice about how the world is structured to their advantage. And depending on how you identify, unlearning and unpacking the way discrimination takes form in society is a long journey that takes years and still doesn't mean that you've absolved yourself of your, your bias. And for some folks that do not have the same access to educational opportunities and exposure, to diverse communities or even a progressive upbringing, Trump is able to legitimize hateful behaviors and beliefs through manipulating his followers. And I find it interesting that people are quick to call Trump an idiot when there are direct intentions and purpose behind his words. I might even dare to say it's strategic in a way that truly baffles us all as the general public when we listen to him because he's still able to command so much respect and loyalty regardless of what he does. So for me, you know, similar to the opinions shared by the other Canadians, I think it's unfortunate, but it's been proven time and time again that whiteness will choose whiteness over the greater good 
again and again. You know, take for example, um, and I know this is just one racial group, but when you look at the percentage of the various races that were categorized anyway, that voted for Trump, this to me was the most stark. So approximately 55% of white women voted for Trump. Approximately 58% of white men voted for Trump. And it's just interesting to me, while I'm not necessarily surprised, it's interesting because if you think back to June when we had those Black Lives Matter protests and, you know, we were praising allyship and we were saying, you know, this is one of the most diverse protests we've ever seen with regards to civil rights. What's changed is that we now have so many allies here with us in this protest marching alongside us. It's great. And if you think even further back to just after Trump's inauguration, you had the Women's March and you had a lot of white women there with signs, you know, who were speaking up against things that Trump had said and Trump had done. So I'm just confused. And this is where we get into performative allyship, but I'm confused. Did those protesting not translate into votes for Biden? Was the correlation lost? Because it's getting real hard to tell the Karens from the Hannahs, I'm gonna need some help. So I was having a conversation online with an American podcaster about this very topic and that conversation sort of shifted and then became a full-blown conversation over the internet. Um, and I was having a conversation with the host of the Independent Thought Podcast. His name is Desmond Price, really dope podcast. You guys should really check it out, discusses politics and everything in between. But, you know, I, I reached out to him because in as much as I want to give my opinion and I do my research and I try to be knowledgeable on these topics. I'm not American and I don't live there. So I just thought it'd be really interesting to have someone who is, you know, who lives there, who has firsthand experience and is also very knowledgeable on American politics to sort of discuss this and share his thoughts on this as well. And so, yeah, I asked Desmond what he had to sort of say and what he thought about why Trump received as much support as he did this time around, even after the last four years. And he definitely mentioned a lot of critical and important things about the misspread of information or rather misinformation um, and how that sort of served to build this sort of like cult-like behavior between Trump and his supporters. So yeah, take a listen. Honestly, it, people, you know, I'll, I'm going, I want to be fair to the, the subject here because I think one of the things I'm going to try to do going forward here is trying to find a way to speak to the right of this country because they... You know, the one thing I should have said in my, one of my last episodes was that you know, regardless of who won the election, the other side of the country isn't going to self-deport. You know, like we we have to find a way to talk to each other because literally it was a one-to-one -one ratio, basically, of people who voted for and voted against Donald Trump. So it's not like we can just pretend like they don't exist. Um, so with Trump, I think the untold story of his popularity and something that the media just refuses to acknowledge is that there was a lot of people that are upset about what's happening in America. And while the Democratic Party was in power during Obama, they tried to convince everyone in America that there was nothing wrong in this country. And if you dared question that, then you were just a bigot or that you were just wrong or that you didn't know what you were talking about. And a lot of the media in our country is like blindly like supports the Democratic Party. Like Obama didn't take really a hard interview in his life, you know, the entire time he was in office. No one ever really questioned him. And it was obvious that that was happening. OK, and Fox News, as much of a propaganda machine that they are, 
they were willing to at least point that out and it pissed off a lot of people and so all trump really had to do when he was campaigning the first time around was that our country isn't doing great and the media is lying to you about it and that resonated with a lot of people because there was a lot of suffering in our country and donald trump was at least willing to acknowledge it and so they're like at least trump tells the truth and people were like no but he lies all the time but like the truth that they were referring to was the fact that the country does have a lot of issues and the democrats trying to pretend like they weren't happening which was true which gave trump this alley to kind of carve into and then as long as he acknowledged that he had them and he did i i think cnn and msnbc is two different entities i think cnn has actually realized what happened in 2016 to a larger degree than msnbc has they have gone way out of their way to try to correct it by having uh more you know voices on there they've tried to like steer away from like smashing down um like smashing down opinions that don't fit into their narrative as much so they definitely have made some corrections since 2016 it's obvious to me as someone who started watching their network um very closely during bernie sanders's first campaign and then msnbc hasn't really caught up they are they're they basically just want to focus on identity politics and that is like that's their lane that's where they want to stay their main like critique of donald trump and his followers or his supporters is that if you support donald trump you are a racist or you're okay with racism and as a person who lives in a state that is really like diverse as far as po politics are concerned like we have a democrat governor and we have one republican senator and one democratic senator i mean there's a very like mixed bag of democrats and republicans in the state that i'm in i know a lot of trump supporters and their reasonings for supporting trump have nothing to do with racism or sexism and when you talk to them about like times where he said racist things or sexist things like this is where the manipulation of the media comes in because from the sources of information that they get they'll try to tell you that the things that he said weren't really that bad and you can tell that they're getting their information from somebody who told them that it wasn't that bad because they didn't actually take the time to listen to what he had to say anyway and so and so i just feel like there's a lot of people being misled now when it comes to me talking about the media you know like not like really like understanding why trump's popular they focus way too much on his like identity politics like the nasty things that he says about women the nasty things he says about race now these are all important things but it's not really identifying the problem and the problem is is that there are a lot of people in our country who don't like the idea of change and the democrats are trying to change the country right now for the better in a lot of ways but the republicans namely trump are going way out of their way to stoke this fear in america that if we go through this change that everything's going to fall apart and that no change no change can be good you know and so that's really i think in a and not in a nutshell but there's a large portion of why trump had so much support is that the republicans have been spending a decade now on this campaign of socialism sucks and anything that the democrats do is socialist and so basically uh you know like that's the fight that we're in right now is it's the fight of information we're trying to 
find ways to cut through the propaganda that's lied to them for so long. So, you know, what I will say to something that Desmond had mentioned, which is this, you know, idea of people voting for Trump or supporting Trump, you know, and their support for him not having anything to do with his, you know, his identity politics, let's call it that. Um, you know, people often say, you know, I voted for him, but it has not, nothing to do with the fact that, you know, he may be racist or he, he says things that annoy people, but he's done certain things that are good for my business. And that's why I keep voting for him. And this is my thing, right? Like obviously economic prosperity is one sign that a country's doing well. It's just, it's one sign. It's one factor of many other factors that tell us how well a country is doing. Obviously the economy is an important factor. Let's, let's get real. People need to be making money to be earning money, to be spending money and stimulating the economy. It's a cyclical thing. I get it. But why is that placed at such a higher priority than, you know, having an effective leader that will listen to science, tell his citizens to wear a mask and lead people adequately through this pandemic. Why is that placed at a higher priority than putting in adequate immigration policies, healthcare policies, uh, fair and equitable policies for different groups of people that have been disenfranchised in the country? We're just going to say, forget all that you know, as long as he's done a few things to help my business in a positive way, then I'm voting for him. I just don't understand. So with regards to what's next with the next administration under the Biden-Harris leadership, I think it'll be really interesting to sort of see how this plays out because Biden has sort of, you know, he's kept reiterating himself as a unifying force. You know, he's saying he'll extend a hand, he'll work with the Republicans, he'll also listen to the more progressive part of the Democratic Party and also work with the moderates. It's going to be really interesting because I think creating this balance will be easier said than done. And so this is also one of the things that I spoke to Desmond about in our conversation. And he had some really good points to say about sort of the limitations that this next administration could face. Uh, what is going to happen? You're going to see a mixture of two different. You're going to see a mixture of a few different things here. On one hand, you're going to have Biden come out and say that he can't get anything done because Mitch McConnell won't work with him because the Republicans will retain the Senate in a, you know, in our country. And so he will blame his inability to get things done on Mitch McConnell, which that's, you know, it's it's almost like it's almost like a perfect setup for him. It was a good thing for him that the Democrats didn't win the Senate because now he has the plausible deniability to continue to not get things done. Um, but on the, on the right side, um, you know, they're not going to work with Joe Biden. I mean, at the end of the day, there is, they have no like reason to do it. They just increased their standing in the house of representatives and they just avoided losing the Senate. The Republicans don't see any reason to work with Biden because they spent you know, the entire time that Barack Obama was in office, not working with him. And it worked out famously for them. Okay, so we've broken down some of the results of the U.S. election, and we've talked about why some of the results may be the way they are. But I want to conclude by connecting this back to Canadians. So I know it seems like the U.S. has had a lot more drama-filled, high-profile political events, especially this year. And it's really easy to feed into this whole, you know, look what's going on down there. 
but it's important to watch with concern, not amusement. And I'm going to say that again, watch with concern, not amusement, because we are not immune to any of the issues and the things that are going on down there. And there are a few things that Canadians can learn from this past U.S. elections. I feel like as Canadians, we need to not get comfortable with the idea that our government has branded us as this, you know, tolerant country where we love everyone, we love each other, we accept each other and all that great stuff. We need to accept that the spirit of white supremacy, sexism, fascism, all those isms, all those negative isms, those spirits are, they're here too. And we need to ensure that, especially through our voting system, that we stay alert and that we don't elect someone like Trump, even under the guise of, you know, he's an outsider. Let's see how he does the first time around. You know, another thing I think we should sort of be wary about here in Canada is this idea of hyper-partisanship and polarization when it comes to political parties. You know, of course, to some degree, there will always be partisanship with certain political issues and There'll always sort of be this competition between certain political parties, but to the degree that it exists right now that we're seeing in the U.S., from an outsider's perspective anyway, it just appears as though it's really impeding on progress. Like Congress is really is going back and forth and can't make a decision on the amount of money to be signed for stimulus for, for citizens during a pandemic and so on. And it just seems like it really sort of just hinders the progress that should be made and the work that politicians really should be doing for their constituents and so that's that's one thing i think we should be really worried about especially between the liberals and conservatives here in canada but i think it's also interesting and i'm happy that there's a third party that's quickly picking up steam and quickly becoming popular here and that's ndp the new democratic party because they're proven to be more progressive they are also they also have a lot of you know good issues on an agenda on their platform that they speak to and i just think that it's also important to have you know a variety of popular or at least well-established political parties because when you have just two distinct political parties you know in the u.s you have the democrats and republicans and here we have liberals and conservatives but ndp is quickly coming up as well if you have just two i just think that it further adds to any division that could already exist and causes more polarization on a lot of different issues and it limits choices for citizens on who to vote for as well because we're always having to then vote oh who's the lesser of two evils not really liking either i wish there was a third choice so that's another thing i think that you know here as canadians we should be very you know wary about cautious about it, and sort of just pay attention to within our political system as well so yeah that brings us to the end of this episode i just want to thank you guys for tuning in and for sort of just you know walking with us as we sort of broke down the the election results, the impact, and then even sort of offering that Canadian perspective. I hope that was helpful, especially for the Canadian listeners, just, you know, touching on things that we should be mindful of, because it's really easy to sort of just look at it as, oh, it's happening over there. But keep in mind, it could just as easily happen here as well, for sure. So it was a great conversation to have. I also just want to thank all the guest contributors. Desmond of the Independent Thought Podcast. Be sure to follow him on Instagram at Independent Thought and also listen to his podcast. Really dope stuff, puts out really good content. You guys should check him out. And also to all the other Canadian guest contributors who jumped on the show and shared your thoughts on the previous election cycle in the US. Thank you so much, guys, for coming on and for sharing your thoughts with us. I really, really appreciate it. And to the listeners, as always, thank you for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your week. Stay safe. 
wear your mask and I'll talk to you guys real soon. Bye for now.